This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice Nathan Baird, the Thursday edition, recording this Thursday afternoon because you know stuff happened. Urban Meyer, multiple, multiple reports. And I think I even saw a picture of him getting off a private jet in Jacksonville uh, that appeared on my Twitter timeline somewhere. Uh, all set, apparently, to be the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have a survey from tech subscribers, what they're thinking about that. And then, of course, people are immediately jumping to what it means for the program now because could Ohio State people be leaving to join him there? And then Nathan and I did a, a piece for uh, the site on Thursday morning. We both rewatched every def- the defensive snaps from the Alabama game. Where did they really go wrong? There's been discussion about Kerry Combs. We've had it on this podcast. What do we think about that? Was it personnel? Was it execution? Did they not take enough risks? What did they do wrong to get rolled by Bama, which just uh, had four guys announce uh, Thursday afternoon that they're leaving early for the NFL draft, including uh, Mac Jones and Jalen Waddell. So they're pretty good. So, Nathan, we'll dig into Urban Meyer first. All the reports uh, out today. It's funny. It's one of those things. You can tell – that the agent sends like a blast email to however many national people he has on his list and says it's, it's ready to go. And everybody reports it's, it's going to happen. And then like, he must send out another blast email. that's like, well, it didn't happen yet. Cause then everybody like half an hour reports like, well, it's not done, but it's on track to. So we had the, like, it's done. Then the, it's not quite done, but you know, it's done. So Urban Meyer is going to be the head coach in Jacksonville. What was your immediate reaction? Well, I mean, it's it's been building to this for a while. There was enough smoke there that when you actually saw the fire, it's it's not that surprising. You know, I, I obviously wasn't here when he was here, but everything I know about it from the outside in, you know, him saying at the time that he stepped down for these, you know, pretty significant health issues at the time um, made me always kind of skeptical that, that he would – maybe even get back into it at all. Um, and, but this is, and the fact that he's never been at the NFL level always made me kind of skeptical that that would be the way he would go. But I, there's another part of me that's like, you know, if you're him, you're watching what Nick Saban just did. There's not that many coaches out there who can say that they've done better than what Urban Meyer has done. And I'm not saying this is like a direct competition thing with Saban, but if you can now say, well, I won national championship at two places and I went, and had some degree of success in the NFL, that would be a little bit of a, a feather in his cap that nobody else really has. Maybe, I guess, except Pete Carroll. He didn't do it at two places, but, you know, 
winning national championships at the college level and then going and winning a Super Bowl at the NFL level. Um, I'm not predicting by any means a Super Bowl at the NFL level for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I'm just saying that even if you get there and have some level of success, if you can take where that program has been, I think 12 wins the last three years, won one game this past year and turn it into something, that gets to kind of add to what is already a pretty secure legacy. So I think he just loves to compete. I mean, we know that. Like, he can't help himself, which is why you're great. You know, I mean, most people who are elite at something, um, there's an opposite, there's another side to it that you you have. If you're a genius or if you are uh, just whatever, you're the best at what you do, you may not be like incredibly um, well-rounded in every aspect of your life because you're, pur- you're purposeful. You, you attack things, you know, like I, I, this is what urban is. And so I think he's battled that in his life and I haven't talked to him lately. Um, but I, I had two primary conversations with him that influence how I'm looking at this. One was being in the office with him late in the 2018 season with a couple of the reporters when he was really, 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 uh, I don't want to say confused. He was really just at wit's end about his health and his head not feeling right and what he should do and not being himself. And then we know at the end of that season, he stepped away. And so on some level, Urban does uh, bring this upon himself by talking about honestly how bad he's feeling from a health standpoint and then he comes back and then he he did it with florida now he did it with ohio state and it it leads to this idea that people don't believe him when it comes to this stuff but i i mean i don't know being in that room i mean like that guy was in anguish that guy was worried about real health stuff that guy was not um i think you know, looking for an out or looking for an excuse or looking for a way to, to bail on his job. Um, I really honestly believe in that moment, he felt like he couldn't do it anymore and that he had to make a choice. And the choice he made was to step away from Ohio state. Now you step away for two years and we went through all this stuff last year with him. And then, you know, people floated his name for USC a million times. Um, There was a little bit of NFL stuff a year ago and he I think fell into a really good rhythm for two years with what he was doing. You could tell he liked being out there. He's doing the Fox stuff. He's doing the big 10 network stuff. He, he was a lot of places. He was doing speaking engagements. He was not sitting in his house. He was out in the world, but 10% of the stress, 10% of the stress. So my other conversation that informed, you know, just what I think about this is when I sat with him in his office before uh, the 2019 season. And he basically at that time I, I wrote, and I believed it then and I believe it now that like he kind of would maybe thinks maybe he's done, but he doesn't know if he can make himself be done. And so I believe him that he was worried about his health. I believed him in between when he didn't know exactly what his future held because he didn't know how he was going to feel from a health standpoint and sort of emotionally. And I believe him now. And, and some texters in our survey have sort of said this. I think he's addicted to this. And I don't mean addicted, like addicted always, it sounds bad, but like he can't help himself. He loves it. It's what drives him. And so it doesn't mean he doesn't love other things in life, but he loves this the most. And so last October, when some of this stuff was percolating, 
I, I wrote a thoughts column about this and I said, I believe Meyer is very aware of the offer he can't refuse. And I always talked about him in terms of the Cowboys because to me that was like a kind of a special job. And I think he talked about it that way. But I think this situation in Florida with an owner that's going to give him the run of the place, big money, reports are he's getting a facilities upgrade there. I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing you do at a college job. It's like, I don't know how, how many NFL, you know, Greg Schiano demanded a facilities upgrade at Rutgers to go back. I don't know how many NFL coaches get facilities upgrades. He's getting that apparently. He'll get the staff he wants. And so that's why I held out some percent chance that I didn't think this had to happen because I thought Urban sometimes puts up off ramps of like, well, I'll take it if it's perfect. And then if it's only 90% perfect, then you take the off ramp and you don't, don't take it. So it must have been perfect. He has the number one pick in the draft. He has a bunch of cap space. He'll have the staff he wants and he'll have a chance. And in, you know, you automatically go to Nick Saban and what Nick Saban did in his two years in Miami, which wasn't great, but he didn't have a shot at Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, he didn't, he didn't have that opportunity to get a franchise quarterback. So um, all the things involved plus a shot at a franchise quarterback and you know, you need a franchise quarterback to win. I get why he's doing it. I believe him when he stepped away, but he can't help it. He can't help it. This is what he wants. And I hope for his sake, he has a health plan figured out. And it's a personal thing, but it's a personal thing that became a public thing because, you know, he was talking about it in the office that day, but then he talked about it more later. He made it, he made it public about how serious this was. And he had a assist the size of a fist in his head. And um, I hope he addresses that. And because now the stress is going to be ratcheted up. So I don't know, but Nathan, do you think that some people, and this is an Ohio State podcast, not an Urban Meyer podcast, and we'll get to some of the survey questions because I wanted to find out from texters and the listeners and the fans how much you care about this stuff, right? It's like, okay, Urban was the coach here, but he's not the coach now. It's not like he's leaving Ohio State, right, Nathan? If this was like Urban Meyer, current Ohio State coach is leaving, that's a whole different thing. Oh, my gosh, who's the next coach going to be? But that process has already happened, and the guy who took over just went to the playoff two years in a row. From, the, from that standpoint, Ohio State's fine. They're fine. They're more than fine. How would you imagine Ohio State fans are, are thinking about this today, though? I, I worry a little bit that they're maybe overthinking it somewhat. You know, we've already seen people on the record. That piece that you wrote, um, it was actually wasn't the one about Meyer. It was when you wrote about Mark Pantone from, I guess, December 2019, where he basically said, like, he doesn't think Urban's going to come in and just clean house and leave Ohio State barren. Um, and I think also Urban, if he's doing this the right way, it's going to involve uh, finding a lot of NFL guys to surround himself with. And that doesn't necessarily match with the personnel that are at Ohio State, even the ones who followed him, maybe especially the ones who followed him, don't have a lot of NFL experience. You can look up and down that roster. You know, um, Greg Madison was a defensive coordinator for a couple of years, but he's also 71 and is probably not making that kind of jump at this point in his career. And a lot of these other guys that followed Urban to Ohio State from Florida are not NFL people. So some of the support staff, I, I guess I could see that would make sense to me. But I, I feel like there's this fear out there that whenever Urban went to either another college job or an NFL job that it was just going to uh, devastate Ohio State internally and I, there doesn't really seem to be evidence of that I think there, there's a little bit too much concern on the, the side of Ohio State fans about this and the other thing I've and I said this in a text a couple weeks ago it's gonna happen 
someday Ryan Day or whoever succeeds Ryan Day is going to have to hire someone to replace Larry Johnson. Someone is at some point maybe have to replace Brian Hartline. Like these things are in, almost inevitable. Like nobody stays at the college level as an assistant for like 20 years. Like you move up and you move on for the most part. So it, it's it's going to happen someday. I think it's something people shouldn't freak out about. And I don't think there's going to be some mass exodus because wherever Urban ends up. So I think from assistant coaches, this goes back to the thing I always talk about, which is assistant coaches are replaceable. And it's like people yell at me when I say assistant coaches are replaceable and then they have to go about replacing them and then they're usually fine. And it's like, okay, they're replaceable. So like he's not going to take the Ohio, the entire Ohio state staff for sure. Might Brian Hartline go? I don't know. Brian Hartline is going to go at some point. Brian too, Brian Hartline's too good to stay at what he is. I mean, he's too good. So he's going to leave at some point. I don't know if this is it. This could be it. If he wants it. I mean, I, I'm sure he has an opportunity so does he want it? I don't know. But somebody in the NFL is going to hire Brian Hartline someday, or he's going to go be an offensive coordinator in college. Like, he's too good to stay in this position. So that's going to happen. So that's the one I think people are worried about. But then there's the structural stuff. I think what people are worried about the most is the structural stuff, which is the people that have been brought from Florida, Mark Pantone, Mickey Marotti, Ryan Stamper. Bill Rabinowitz from the Dispatch is reporting that Mickey Marotti is not going anywhere. Um, he's the right-hand man. He's Urban Meyer's, you know, like he's like the off-season coach for this team. Um, I do think strength coach in the NFL is different than strength coach in college. So that could be part of it. I don't know. But if he stays, that's good for Ohio State. Mark Pantone, as the recruiting guy, we've talked about this. He's become more like the GM at Ohio State. He, has, he and his wife are both from Florida. He followed Urban from Florida. There's more of a personal thing here. Again, when I talked to Pantone a year ago, I, I got the impression, I, like Mark Pantone, I don't know that he would follow Urban to a college job to do the same thing at a different college because Pantone had reached the point where here at Ohio State, he's certainly standing on his own two feet. He's not just Urban's guy anymore. But in the NFL, if he, so here's the thing you always think, I always think about this. It's like, all right, well, are you going to stay in your job forever? Is Mark Pantone going to work at Ohio State as the recruiting guru forever? Who knows? But if he's not, what would he leave for? Well, I don't think he'd leave for another college job. So then why would he ever leave? Well, what if he wants to be an NFL GM? Or what if he wants to work in personnel? What if he wants to be the college scouting director for an NFL team? Or the assistant director of player personnel? Okay, when I talked to him a year ago, he said he'd turned down NFL jobs along the way. And he already could have left for one of those. But if you leave for one of those, you know, there's a million assistants in a the department. They don't really know you. You go in there. Maybe you show what you can do. Maybe you get lost. This is his guy. This is Urban. Urban knows Mark Pantone inside and out. If he ever wants to take a shot, if he's, he's young, but if he has in his head, man, what if I could be an NFL GM someday? What better chance is there than this to try it? So, it's, you know, what, and what would you turn it down for if you have that chance now to say, no, I'll turn it down, but maybe I'll do it in five years. What are you going to do in five years here at Ohio State that's any different than what you've done? You're not. There's, and that doesn't mean there's personal stuff. There's family stuff. He has young kids. I don't know. All that factors in. We have to realize that. But it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if he left. But as we've said before, the structure is beyond the people. It's how you do things. And Mark Pantone has a, a recruiting tree, just like a head coach has a coaching tree. So Mark Pantone has sent a bunch of people, Aaron Hodges, who went and did this at Purdue and it has now left Purdue. I don't know exactly what happened at Purdue. He's no longer in that job at Purdue since the end of the year. He's out there. Mark Pantone leaves. Maybe they slide him right in. Or a guy like that. Ryan Day 
saw what Mark Pantone did under Urban Meyer. Ryan Day kept Mark Pantone, knows what Mark Pantone did for him here. Ryan Day now knows how that job operates and how Ryan Day wants it to operate. So Pantone is skilled at it, but Ryan Day will just say, I know what I want in that job. I'm going to go find somebody I think I can do it. Doesn't mean he won't be missed, but I don't know that it's catastrophic, right? I think, I think that the fact that he got a couple years of how a recruiting department works and that Pantone is as good as he is will set them up to succeed in that. Ryan Stamper, I think, is probably gone. The guy who is really involved with the players, works with them intimately. A lot of times if the players have issues, Stamp is the guy that they go to. I think if he goes, you've got to find a guy that can have that kind of connection with the players. That matters. I think Corey Dennis very well goes. I think that might open an opportunity because Ryan hires Urban son a lot. I'll be the quarterback coach. I've been on this podcast. I said, I think it was an underwhelming hire. I thought it was based on connections, not resume. He'd never been a full-time assistant anywhere. He gets that job. He's not going to go. And I sort of said that in the text. And there I said, Corey Dennis is the quarterback coach for Trevor Lawrence. He's not going to be the quarterback's coach. He's going to be the assistant quarterback's coach or whatever. On the NFL staff, they have a gazillion guys. So he can go be the assistant quarterback's coach and be fine. But that would open an opportunity um, for Ryan Day. And so I get where people are, but the structures here, Ryan Day, who had never been a head coach before, got the benefit of seeing how it works, how he wants it to work. And I do think as valuable as those people are, it's very different to me, Nathan, than if when, say, Urban had left, say it was a scenario where Urban's the head coach, Urban goes to Jacksonville, takes all these people, and now Ryan Day is taking over as the new head coach without a strength coach, without a recruiting coordinator, without a player personnel guy, minus four of the assistants he wanted. They're not going to lose four assistants. Minus a, a, a one or two assistants he wanted to keep. And he's starting from scratch with all that. I think that would be different. But to lose them now, he wants a Marathi. He wants a Pantone. He wants a Stamper. He knows what that looks like. I think if he loses any of those three guys, he can go find a version of them, and it's not catastrophic as much as it is a loss. It certainly is a loss, but not catastrophic. Yeah, and even more so than finding a version of them, you know, like you said, Bill Ribbon, it's already reporting that Marathi wouldn't wasn't going to leave. But even if he were, his his fingerprints are already on the guys who are still in this program and will be here after he were to leave, or, or, you know, if you know what I'm saying, or Pantone even like, what does he do? He's the guy that's like the guru of putting together a lot of what they do from a recruiting standpoint, where they've already had this last class, number two, this first, this next class, they're already uh, up at the top of the rankings and already killing it for 2022. I mean, so that work is already kind of full steam ahead and there you're already kind of playing with some equity there. Right. So I, I feel like it, it's the best case scenario. I mean, like I said, Ryan Day at some point will have to replace just about all those people, depending on how long he stays here, potentially. But to keep them, to give that overlap, you get to kind of drag in the, the presence of, that urban, of the Urban Meyer tenure and then also you know, build it to be also more in, in your own kind of um, image, you know what I mean? And, and add your own stamp to that. So it's really the, the best of both worlds as opposed to what you're talking about. I mean, I've seen it happen at other programs where when you've got to start from scratch um, and especially if you don't, if you're not already a head coach and can't bring like an intact staff with you um, and that rapport and that connection, it does not work well. Very often does not work well. So again, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. This is the time, this is the time when if you listen to me and I say, 
assistant coaches and that kind of stuff are middle managers, you'll be okay. They're replaceable. You should, this is the time when that should make you feel good. If you fight against it and feel like, no, there are certain assistants that my elite top three national program can't live without, that if we lose a particular assistant, we're dead, which I always fight against. If you think that, then you're more worried right now. So Tom Herman, quarterbacks coach, good. Tim Beck, bad. Ryan Day, good. Corey Dennis, I don't know. Too early to tell. But maybe then, if he's not here, then good again. Right? Um, Luke Fickle, good linebackers coach. Bill Davis, bad. Al Washington, good. Um, Kerry Combs, good cornerbacks coach. Tabor Johnson, bad. Jeff Halfley, good. Kerry Combs, good. Right? So it doesn't mean you hit every time. But if you don't hit, then you get rid of them and bring in somebody better pretty quick. And a lot of times you can hit. You have the ability to hit on everybody because it's not, there's a huge pool of people who want to be here. So I'm not going to keep saying that. It's, I just please don't get hung up on like if you lose Brian Hartline, the program's going to fall apart. Or if you lose, you know, Mark Pantone, the program's going to fall apart. I do think the staffers might be harder to replace than the coaches because coaches, it's part of the deal. These staffers have really been in place for a long time. So if I get, I get the Pantone and Marathi stuff and Stamper is behind the scenes and more valuable than I think the average fan realizes more than we realize. So I don't know. Like I, it's, it's funny that Pantone in that story that I wrote said, urban's not going to come raid the staff. And now one of the guys who probably is among the most likely to leave is Pantone. Um, but it's a, it's a career move. It's a life move. I mean, it's a, how do you begrudge the guy? And if it's not just going, if he was going, if urban took the job at Texas and it's like, Oh, Mark Pantone is going to be the exact same job at Texas. And then it's sort of like, well, what's up with that? Except also that happens all the time. There's a report that Pete Golding, the Alabama defensive coordinator who just coordinated the defense for Alabama in the national title game is going to Texas to be Steve Sarkeesian's defensive coordinator at Texas. So it happens all the time. And I'll tell you what, fans were angrier during the Jim, Jim Trestle era when nobody left. So you also don't want a staff where nobody ever leaves. Because the reason people don't – now, listen, Tony Elliott and Brett Venables have been loyal assistants and loyal coordinators for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. They've had opportunities to leave, and they didn't. That's different. But Jim Trestle had the same staff practically for a long time, and nobody liked that because there were people – most people didn't want the guys on that staff. So you want great coaches that other people want, and then you want to hang on to them as long as possible, and then eventually they'll leave, and you replace them with somebody just as good. So I wouldn't freak out. We don't know for sure. Stamper and Dennis are at the top of my list for likely departures. And I think Pantone is certainly possible. I think Pantone is certainly possible. And if Marathi reports are staying, then great. That's good for Ohio State. Let's do the list of, from the Texer survey, how worried are you? How worried are you about some Ohio State staff members and or coaches following Urban Meyer to Jacksonville? I said very worried, moderately worried, or not that worried. Nathan, what do you think won? Moderately worried. Moderately worried, 50%. Not that worried, 37%. Very worried, 12%. So as we said, it's always about the middle always wins. It's about how the extremes compare to each other. Not that worried, three times more than very worried. I do think, again, this is why the texture surveys are really good. Sometimes if you only go by what people tweet, or what people respond with on text, usually the very worried people for anything or who responds. 
Like if you're not that worried, you kind of just keep it to yourself. You're like, that's fine. So are you surprised at all that not that worried is three times more than very worried? Uh, a little bit. Yes. Because just because again, I think people, um, assume the worst sometimes in these situations. Although again, our, our, our texters are a little bit more savvy and a little bit more level-headed than the average audience, the Twitter audience, I guess you would say. So maybe I shouldn't be that surprised, but I'm, I'm, I'm gratified by the 50%. I think those people have a good grasp here. It's like, yes, it's important not to make a bad hire. Cause as you're, as you're, to replace whoever because as you're reading off those guys it's like yes you can have good hire bad hire good hire good hire but then sometimes those bad hires you mentioned might be directly reflective of some of the things that we saw last monday night whether from recruiting or development so it, it's not a, it's something you can't think about at all but i also agree that it isn't something that wipes out your program oh that's and absolutely I'm, I'm not saying how do i say this i'm not saying that like a bad hire has no effect it does have an effect I'm saying that you can't expect to bat a hundred percent or bat right. a thousand with all your hires. And so you have to, the, the worst case scenario is when you make a bad hire and you're unwilling to do something about it. Right. And that applies to everything that applies to everything that applies to everything that applies to everything. The surest way to drive your company into the ground is to hire good people and have them be so good that they leave and hire people who aren't so good and nobody else wants them and they stay forever. So you've got to be willing to, on your own, get rid of the people who aren't cutting it because the people who are elite are also going to leave. So you never bat a thousand. There are, we talked about it. The reason there's some defensive deficiencies in the talent on the current team is because Tabor Johnson and Bill Davis did a bad job recruiting and developing for a while at linebacker and, and at cornerback. So there is an effect, but Larry Johnson's awesome, right? And Brian Hartline's awesome. And Kerry Combs was awesome as a recruiter and developer. Now you got him back. So they didn't stick around with those guys, right? They didn't let them linger forever, but you can't, you can't freak yourself out too much. You can't freak yourself out too much. So I thought that was a good answer. I thought it would be more people than 12% would be very worried. So I thought that was, a, that was a good to see that response. Now some specifics. Rank in order the Ohio State staff you'd be most upset to see uh, follow Urban Meyer to Jacksonville. I'm not saying any of them will, but who would you be most worried about losing? The choices I gave were Pantone, Marathi, Hartline, and then any other assistant coach. Because I don't know who else is the most likely in that group, right? But Heartline to me stands out just because I don't think Larry Johnson at nearly 70 years old is going to go. That just is not where my head is right now. Maybe I'm wrong. That's not where my head is. So I didn't include Larry Johnson as a separate answer. I, I allowed rank choice in this, not just pick one. So who do you think was won the ranking, Nathan, as the one they most are worried about losing? Heartline? You know what? I would have guessed Heartline. And it's Pantone. Pantone in the rank voting 1.86, Marathi 2.06, Heartline 2.13. So all pretty close. And then every other assistant was basically everybody's fourth fourth choice. So I did find that interesting. The the thing about Pantone is that his job is the one that has the fewest number of people in the pool, I think because in the applicant pool, because he practically invented his job. 
He runs a symposium now for recruiting directors from around the country for different colleges. He created the convention because he practically created the position. And everybody listening to this knows this, but when I think about the person that held like a recruiting coordinator title or was supposedly, and it always used to be an assistant coach. It's like you're the tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator. When I started on this beat 15 years ago and where things are now, it's like a horse and buggy and an electric car. I mean, it is night and day, but, a bunch of people have now come through Ohio State and gone out and done it so they can do it. But Pantone is the OG on this. So there are people on staff with him right now. They have a huge recruiting staff at Ohio State. People on staff with him right now, people out in the world who have learned from him. But I do get it on this, right? And, and they're still going to do what, how Ryan Day wants to do it. But I do get it on this because, like, this is the guy who has helped make talent decisions like hey there's a higher ranked running back that wants to come to ohio state in this class but i'm telling you i like the film of this elliot guy he's not as highly ranked in the recruiting rankings but i think this is the guy ezekiel elliott's the guy and so they took that guy instead of the other guy and the other guy never did anything so like individual things like that matter yes it's about making the connections and presenting Ohio State in a way to get out to the five stars and get in early and find the guys who have Ohio connections and have a great social media presence and all that. But Pantone over time really evolved as a guy who watching film would be able to differentiate this guy versus this guy. Cause at Ohio State, you don't recruit, you choose. And so that I think might be difficult to replace. I almost think Pantone, you might need two or three people to replace because you might need someone to run like the recruiting operation social media, official visits, all that kind of stuff. And then you sort of need someone else to like break down the film and be the guy who helps do that. So I think I might, I thought fans would vote Heartline one, Nathan. I think I might vote Pantone one as well. Yeah, I know. I think that's who probably should be number one. And that's no disrespect to obviously the level that Brian Hartline is, is recruiting and coaching at right now, which is um, on, a, on a short list of who's doing it really best in college football right now. But I, I think you can find, like you say, I think you can find a position coach easier than you can find someone who is kind of the engine of this thing that um, is, is working so well that it almost seems, seems automated. You know what I mean? Like it seems like it's this thing that you can count on that it'll just be there and uh, year in, year out, performing at this excellent level. And I, I think I understand why fans are concerned that you take him out and you put another person in that place and now you've you've changed that whole dynamic and you don't know what could happen i think that's very different than just changing a position coach so just let me read this because sometimes i forget what i write but just so people understand this so he's 39 he's 39 years old so you are at that point in your life uh his kids are pretty young you know you could move now um, before they're too entrenched in school and that kind of thing. And again, if you don't think that kind of stuff matters in these decisions, I mean, it's huge. People have, um, in, this, in, a, in a transient business, when people have an opportunity to sort of settle in for a while, a lot of times it's, it's sometimes is built around, hey, well, my kids, 
in middle school and I told them I wouldn't move them in middle school. Or my kid, I told my kids, Urban always told his kids, we're not going to move you in high school. We're not going to do that to you. So like you have people and people out there who have taken jobs elsewhere and moved, you understand that sometimes it's out of your control. Sometimes you get fired. Sometimes the head coach gets fired and you don't have any choice. But when you have a choice, there are sometimes lines in your family's life where you can say, well, now's a good time to go. Well, now if we don't go now, then I don't want to go for another four years, right? So that does matter. So Pantone's 39 years old right now. Young kids, this is what I wrote a year ago. He watches seven or eight hours of prospect film every day and directs Ohio State's recruiting energies toward the high-profile prospects they determine they can get and the under-the-radar prospects they determine other teams are overlooking. I think that is a – that really, Nathan, is almost like two separate jobs. One is like strategy of the obvious and the other is unearthing the gems. One is presentation. One is film breakdown. And again, that's, that's why this guy is, is really good at it. Um, and I think it's definitely it's, two separate jobs if you're bringing someone in to do it for the first time. Again, it's right. something he created. So he's very facile in that. But if you're bringing someone in new to, to, start that maybe organically, I think it would make sense to almost split that up in two ways. Uh, quote, you mentioned this earlier, quote, all I can say is that I know Urban loves this place and he loves Ryan, Pantone said, so I think he wouldn't want to destroy this place either. He'd definitely be considerate of Ryan and Ohio State for sure. So that's, that's what I was saying. Like, is, he gonna, is Urban going to take a job and, and take everybody? Uh, and, and but then I think ahead. that's what the interesting question is, is what does that mean exactly? Because there's definitely assistant coaches on this staff that, that fans, if they were to leave, would say, hey, good for him. But it's not like something they would necessarily feel. So if like if, if, if Urban Meyer thinks that Brian Hartline, who is on that, again, very short list of the best recruiters, best position coaches in college football right now, if he thinks he's the guy that needs to be his receivers coach, is he not going to take him because it would hurt Ohio State? The other side of that is that Pantone loves this place. He and his wife, Kristen, are Florida grads and Florida natives, but they're four-year-old twins. They're now five. Hayden and Madison are Midwestern kids who tell their baffled parents they prefer the cold to the heat. Pantone is very invested in his church here. Um, his mother-in-law moved to Columbus. Mark's family is from Florida. They visit a lot. And Pantone said, quote, the number one goal in moving here was happiness for my family. So as long as that happiness is there, there's no reason to leave. It 100% feels like home and hopefully home for a long time. That's just how much we love it here. So that, that is one of those things that is – that doesn't mean you stay forever. That means it requires, like, the perfect chance to move. You don't just right. move for the sake of moving. And it just so happens this could be the perfect chance. So that's why – I always left this open with Mark because he was really strong when I was sitting in the office with him on this point, that this is their place. They love it here. But man, I just thought this, the Florida connection, the Florida home family stuff, plus the NFL thing, it just felt like it really, it really had a chance to be real, Nathan. And that's where I think we are. That's where I think we are with this. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Some more questions and answers from our texters about the Urban Meyer likely move to Jacksonville and what it means for the Buckeyes. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. So that's the specific effect on Ohio State is who might go also. Then there's like the sort of nebulous thing, which I find interesting, which is like, how will you view Urban now? Because the thing that I'm going to write about this is just looking back on some stuff. 
Um, Ohio State has a history of like this being the end-all be-all for the head coach. Jim Trestle didn't ever want to be anywhere else. You know, he didn't get to stay for his until he retired, but he wanted to. You know, John Cooper stayed 13 years. He looked at other jobs along the way, other college jobs, but he never left. And he never had another job after he was done here. Earl Bruce never wanted anything else but this. He coached at uh, Colorado State after the fact, after he got fired here, but he wanted to stay. And then Woody goes back to Woody. So like the last guy, now Wes Fessler, uh, before Woody kind of got stressed out <laughs> and the stress was a little too much. So he left and then got hired at Minnesota a couple weeks later. So he went from Ohio State to Minnesota because he didn't want the grief. But before that, it was basically Paul Brown a couple years earlier. Paul Brown is killing it here. World War II starts. It gets a little goofy. He's, he's off coaching the military guys. But like Ohio State thinks he's coming back. And then the Browns come along. And he feels like, I think I've got to take this chance. So I think Urban is almost like a combination of Wes Fessler and Paul Brown. That sort of like the stress got to him a little bit, right? So he sort of Wes Fesslered it. And then why is he taking this NFL opportunity now? I think it's like Paul Brown. It's like, listen, you're great and you want to see what might happen. And all, all Paul Brown did was go on to basically create the foundation of modern professional football by not deciding to stay at Ohio State for 30 years. So, you know, kind of a good move. Kind of a good move, Paul. Worked out. But then, thanks to Woody, that's not how Ohio State fans think about this job. So I've been very curious how Ohio State fans now view Urban. Again, it's different that he's not immediately leaving and going. He took the two years off. What are your feelings about Urban Meyer coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars? Here are the choices. I feel a little weird about it for whatever reason, which is just I didn't, I didn't exactly know how to explain the weirdness, so I just let the people figure out the weirdness. I don't care that much either way. I'm focused on the current Ohio State program. Or I'm happy for him. Ohio State is in great shape without him. Good luck. Nathan, what do you think one? It's got to be one of those last two, I think. I would say – I would say maybe just happy for him and how state's going to be okay. Cause there's been enough separation. I, I think that you've seen, they should have seen by now that Ryan day can stand on his own uh, to some extent. He's lost two games and they were both in the playoff. Um, so there's, and they know what's coming in recruiting. So I, I think what that scenario you were talking about before, where if he had done this to leave Ohio state and go somewhere and, and, and leave the place barren, that's one thing, but there's enough of a structure here that he's handed off to Ryan and there's been enough then subsequent success with it. Uh, there shouldn't be a lot of panic. 63% happy for him. Good luck. 20% don't care, focused on OSU. 17% feeling a little weird. So basically two-thirds good luck is pretty magnanimous by the fan base. I wasn't 100% sure they'd be there, but that's a good number, I think. I, I, I wouldn't think that it would be 80%, because I do think there are enough people who are like, listen, if you're not my coach right now, I, I don't care what you do. No offense, right? But like, I care about the program. I don't care about the people who like have worked their way through the program at some point in time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think that's a pretty good number. And there's not, you know, I didn't put in mad. I didn't put in like, Hey, I thought your health said you couldn't coach. Oh, now you can coach. Like I didn't put that in because I do think that's how 80% of Florida fans felt when he left, but he also left, for a college job that time. And he was only out for a year, One year and he didn't leave it in good shape at Florida. Will Muschamp was a bomb 
And it got really messy at the end at Florida. So I do think the way Florida fans view him is not to me, Nathan, how Ohio State fans are going to view Urban going forward. Well, he did take all those structural guys with him too. He brought Mickey Marotti up. He brought uh, Pantone up. Like he, he took the guts out of the Florida program and brought it up to Ohio State and then had success at Ohio State like almost immediately, like, like great success. So I understand people there. I'm curious your read on this. Like from a stress standpoint, neither of these are easy jobs. Is there any reason to believe that the NFL, because you don't have to deal with the whole recruiting side of things, I know there's free agency. I know there's still player acquisition, but does this make the, the NFL job at all less of a giant stress monster than the college job? Or is it not necessarily the hours or whatever? It's just the competitive stress and the losing that is what grinds you, even when you only lose once or twice a year. And then does that make the NFL even more tougher because he's going to lose eight to 10 times next year, probably? So I think there's a couple ways to look, look at that. Um, I mean, there's a million NFL coaches that'll tell you one of the reasons they're in the NFL and not college is because of the recruiting. Because recruiting is 365 and it grinds you down. And, you know, if, it's a, if you're eating dinner with your family and a recruit calls, you got to take it. And you gotta, you're constantly keeping in contact with a million different guys because you've got to stay on top of recruits and ask them, hey, how's class going? Hey, how's your family? Whatever. Um, but the reason I don't think that applies to Urban is because I think Urban loves it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And urban, when you're the head coach, you're the closer, you're the big picture guy. Yes, you do have the contact, but it's not like the, you don't have to be necessarily on top of every little thing with every kid that you're going after. So when I talked to urban a year ago, urban said he missed that because even in the off season, he said, you're always competing. And even the off season, when you don't have a game, you're recruiting, you're competing in recruiting every day. And he missed it. He wasn't like, oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad to be rid of that. He woke up in the morning and like, that was the first thing he thought of. And there was like a pang of like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. So I don't think the recruiting is where urban stress comes in because I think he likes it. And they mostly won, right? right. Like what guys at Ohio State did they not get who they really, really, really wanted? Not many. And if they didn't get that guy, they got the guy right under him who's practically just as good. So I think he liked the recruiting aspect of it once they really were rolling here. The NFL thing, a lot of people have said the thing about at Ohio State, you lose once a year, you lose twice a year. In the NFL, you're going to lose – even if you're good, you lose four. And it's very possible you lose six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. But the other thing is no single loss in the NFL is as devastating as, there, as college. When, he, when Urban lost – to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game in 2013 and the pizza photo, which again, I just can tell it every single time. I'm standing there. He's in the golf cart eating pizza. I'm standing right there. And I think, man, this is an interesting thing. And I think to myself, you know what? I'll let the guy eat his pizza. And the guy next to me takes the photo with his phone. <laughs> and it, that's the photo that goes out to the world. So that's what I get for having like – It'd be surprising, right? I'm such a jerk that I would have human emotion of like, you know what? I'll let the guy live. And what do I get for it? I mean, it's like the most viral photo of the Urban Meyer era, and it could have been mine. And just think where I'd be now, Nathan. My gosh, I might be running my own internet company if I had taken the pizza photo. Would have been no stopping you. So was it a square cut pizza? Was it that? Was that? Was it a square cut pizza? And that's why you're just like, I can't put this out into the world. 
I can't be associated with square cut pizza in any way. I think it was a personal Papa John's. I mean, it was Papa John's, so I do think it's a triangle. Oh. I don't love Papa John's pizza, but at least it's no. a triangle. Um, so Urban's 24-0. That's his first loss. And he can't he's, – he's being eaten alive on the inside by the loss to Michigan State. The Purdue loss, the Iowa loss, eats him alive. The shutout against Clemson eats him alive. There's no – he only lost nine times here and every single one. All of the nine ate him alive. He might lose nine times next year. He probably will. You'd bet on it. I don't think the Jags, even Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be better than seven and nine right away. That's what I was saying. Like, I think you're eight to ten losses at best. But not – no single one of those – so I, it's one of those things. If to Urban – I think it's possible that nine losses in an NFL season will eat at him less than like one loss to Iowa in an Ohio State season, if you know what I mean. Because they're expected. Everybody loses. Everybody loses in the NFL. At Ohio State, Urban felt like, I can't ever lose. I can't lose. We can't lose. Every loss is devastating. And he's not going to feel that way in the NFL. So I, I – now, on the other hand, he's terrible at losing. He's as bad at losing as anybody I've ever seen, and anybody who knows him would say that. And that's not – that's like not a slam. That's practically a compliment because if you're great, you don't like losing. But I think he might be okay. I don't know. Because the other thing is, I mean, you know, so you'll go 7-9 next year. I mean, the Titans were 9-7 and seven last season and won the AFC Championship game. So, I mean, like you can have – and just like get geared up, be better by the end of the year, right? Progress. Urban always said you want to play your best football in November. Like do that kind of thing. And you can, you can lose some early ones and you'll be fine. So I, I'm curious about that, but I think there's a way that maybe he can manage it. But he's got to manage it. It's on him. And well, let's – and we, we've, we've completely talked over the fact that there was another like outside stressor that was adding to the end of his tenure at Ohio State too. So let's not pretend it was all just wins and losses. I mean, there was an off-the-field thing that was contributing to that as well that he's now two years, three years further removed from. Yeah, Zach Smith obviously added to that, and that's on him for doing that. Um, there are people, I think, who, who think he didn't get enough of a punishment out of that, that he missed the three games, but, like, otherwise he kind of, you know, sort of retired. And, I mean, if you say, well, if you think that contributed to him leaving his job, well, that's quite a thing. That's quite a punishment, right? And almost – forced him to quit his dream job but then he had a great gig on tv for two years and now he's like got the best nfl job that's open so like what what did he really suffer out of that some people would say that i don't know where i am on that i think there's a difference between something you do and something that someone works for you does that you fail to manage properly right i do think there is a difference there doesn't let him off the hook but anyway that's not what people want to hear on this podcast we've been over that enough times but yes you're right that was added stress in that moment but it's easy for us to say, oh, it's fine to lose to Indianapolis in September. He has to believe it, though. He has to believe it. So let's do this, then, how we think he'll do. Because everybody trots out the list of sort of failed college coaches in the NFL, and it's a long list. You mentioned Pete Carroll as a success. There's many more who haven't worked. How do you think Urban Meyer will do as an NFL coach in Jacksonville? Huge success, maybe win a Super Bowl. Moderate success, but never win big limited success will be out of the NFL in a few years. What do you think one, Nathan? I think people are optimistic. This fan base would be optimistic about him. So I would pick some success. What was the middle one? Like moderate yeah. success, something like that. Like, you know, I, I think it, it's very hard to say, especially for a team that just won one game, 
Um, and I know that they're going to take a quarterback number one overall, probably Trevor Lawrence over number one overall, but still it's, it's very hard to say that that guarantees you anything. So I think moderate success that there's, you would think that just someone with his football knowledge and his charisma, um, that those things, it, it's reasonable to expect that those turn into winning. So moderate one, cause the middle always wins 54%. <laughs> What do you think won, again, the extremes? What do you think was higher of huge success and limited success will be out of the NFL in a few years? I think it might have been limited success only because he's not – I mean, I, I think people might be skeptical of just because of the health situations, because there have been these other kind of – I don't want to – maybe flameout's not the right term, but like burnout situations that maybe that would be where they would lead. So I would say limited success. Uh, limited success, 30%, huge success, 16%. So almost two to one for limited success. I think that's track record of college coaches not making it. And I do think, and I, and I want to talk about this, um, to some degree, but I do think that people are focused on like, oh, is Urban going to run the quarterback 20 times? Cause Urban Meyer had Tim Tebow and JT Barrett. And I do think the one thing with Urban, and I wrote about it a ton, and I asked about it a ton when he had Dwayne Haskins in 2018, and you could tell it was grinding him a little bit to have a pass-first, no-run quarterback. And he admitted that. It was hard for him to get used to it. But he did it because that's what he had, and Ryan Day helped show him how to do it. So Urban's not going to get there now. There's two things. Urban's not going to get there and run the Tim Tebow, JT Barrett offense. He knows better than that. But the other thing is the NFL has evolved kind of to what college football is. So Urban, I think, is going to rely. He's going to bring in, just like he did at Ohio State, he's going to bring in assistance that he's going to rely on. Urban always says, we run the Urban Meyer offense. It's what I want to do. Tom Herman calls the plays. Ryan Day calls the plays. But it's the Urban Meyer offense. I think it will be less of the Urban Meyer offense in the NFL. I think he will hire two coordinators that he trusts to be smart X and O guys. But the other thing about Urban, he did it when he was out for the year between Florida and Ohio State. And when you're out, by the way, doing announcing or, and doing this kind of stuff, you have access to these programs. You go talk to people. He studies. He knows what's up. He knows what the next thing is. And what he does offensively at Jacksonville is not going to be exactly what it looked like at Ohio State. So he knows where offensive football is heading, and he's going to hire somebody to help him get there, just like he hired Tom Herman to help him get there because he never ran up tempo stuff at Florida. And then when he was out for a year and he talked to Chip Kelly and people like that, and he thought, I've got to run up-tempo. Tom Herman had experience with up-tempo. He makes that higher. Now Ohio State's up-tempo when they want to be. And that's a change. He's going to make those kind of changes. So he's not an X and O coach. And again, I'm tell I'm I don't talk to – I'm not Urban's text buddy. But I've asked him everything I ever wanted to ask him about football in news conferences over the years. And I very specifically over the years asked him about the transition from being an X and O coach to a culture coach. And he admitted that he embraced that. That's what he wants to do here. And if you talk about the Browns, like Kevin Stefanski's both Kevin Stefanski, people love him as a play caller. They love the X and O's, but all anybody talks about what the Browns is changing the culture. Urban is going to change the culture first. So that's what he does. He puts in a structure and he changes the culture. I don't think that changes that much from the NFL, from college to the NFL. I think he's got to be a little careful, right? I think some of the motivational stuff, you got to be careful with the millionaires. It's a different deal. But he's talked with people about that. He's talked to all his former players. 
he'll get people in line there and then he'll hire the assistants to do the next no stuff. This is not next and no hire. It's not an X and O, an X and O hire. Um, all right. Who, which quarterback do you now think Jacksonville will take with the number one pick in the NFL draft? Because everybody thinks Trevor Lawrence is the obvious number one pick. You hire a former Ohio state coach and people start throwing Justin Fields in there. Nathan, who's Jacksonville going to take? I think they're probably going to take Trevor Lawrence. I saw a clip on flowing around on Twitter today from, I guess it was from last season, maybe with urban, just kind of exploding with praise for Trevor Lawrence and how he's like the perfect quarterback prospect and all this stuff. So I think that that's probably the way you go. I think if you think you've got the guy, if you think that that franchise guy is there, I think you have to take him. It's just too valuable in the NFL. I guess the one thing I would say is if you also think that one of these other guys is him also can be that guy also, just as much as you think that it's Trevor Lawrence. Like I love trading down. I love trading down and getting more picks. And especially if you're rebuilding from scratch, I could see, I could see both arguments there, but if you think, if you think you can trade down to three or four and Justin Fields is there and you think he's a franchise quarterback too, and you can gain multiple picks to help you rebuild this thing that just went down to the very basement of the NFL. I, I could consider that too, but I imagine they'll just take the best guy. Number one. Yeah. They're taking Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I think people have some, I think nationally have a misread on like, Oh, well, urban Meyer, urban Meyer had nothing to do with Justin Fields. Right. Zero. That's like the first thing Ryan day did to stamp, put his mark on this program is get Justin Fields to come here. Ohio state's quarterbacks when urban Meyer left were Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin. He is not, that doesn't mean he doesn't like Justin Fields, but this is not like a, Oh, urban Meyer's going to take his guy discussion. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is his guy as much as Justin Fields is. He respects them both, but he did. He didn't, he has no connection to Justin Fields. He never coached him. Not for a second. And who's the most successful NFL quarterback that Urban has coached? Alex Smith. Yeah, I was going to say, it have to be Alex Smith, which is getting up there now. Well, and Cam Newton. He coached Cam Newton for a year and a half or whatever at Florida before Cam Newton transferred. Right. Who who Urban claims, Urban claims, if you ask Urban about the NFL quarterbacks he's coached, he always says Cam Newton for sure. Now, he also inherited Alex Smith. He didn't recruit Alex Smith, but he helped Alex Smith be at his best and become the overall number one pick they're taking trevor lawrence and the textures agreed 94 percent. i think our textures understand that that that's just not where it is it's not like ryan day getting hired by the jaguars i mean that would be a thing that potentially could be a thing that ryan and justin are so connected that, that ryan would get there and be like I, I i want this guy i'm telling you i know this guy better than anybody else that's not what urban is with justin and that's not about justin at all it's just the reality of the situation all right this is the last thing on this topic that i was just curious and i got some blowback from people saying like you're 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 killing me here making me choose but jim trestle was a guy who who despite how messy his ending was at ohio state um people still loved people loved tress and i think the more you get removed from that um even people who maybe in the moment were upset or whatever it's like well compared to other stuff it's not that big a deal did he get railroaded it's not who he really was whatever i still the Ohio State fan base loves Jim Trestle, I would say, is a fair thing to say. And I think it's fair to say that Urban, in the way he left, I think, I think the Ohio State fan base loves Urban Meyer. I do think it's possible that they love Tress more and Urban they like appreciate and respect more, that they kind of think Urban was the better coach 
or the better recruiter or ran a better program because he won more, right? I mean, he dominated everybody. Jim Tressel dominated Michigan and won a national title, and Urban Meyer dominated Michigan and won a national title. For the resumes, are actually very similar. But but day to day, week to week, Urban's machine was was a bigger, bigger, stronger, nastier machine than Tressel's machine. But I do think there still might be more love, like love. I love that guy with Tress. But in the end, the question was, who's your favorite former Ohio State head coach, Urban Meyer or Jim Tressel? And Urban won. And I, I wasn't surprised by that, but I left open the possibility that Tressel would win. 64% to 36%. So that's two-thirds for Urban. So that tells me that people – now, one thing, one texter suggested this is like you should ask how old the texters are because, believe it or not, we might have some texters who like really don't know much about Jim Tressel. Right? I mean, Jim Tressel coached his last That's season fair. 10 yeah. years ago. Exactly. If for a group that skews younger, yeah, it would be like, you know, people at the end of Tressel's era asking them about John Cooper or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there'd been enough gap that, that the, the youngest group doesn't have a great grasp on that. Not like the texters are all like 14. You know? True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I so I do think I do think there's most of the people still have a good handle uh, of of who Jim Tressel was. I did want to run through a few kind of responses um, from people, sort of what they're feeling from the 309. I feel that part of Urban's legacy is being a hero maker, not just a hero. I think he wants Day to succeed since he groomed him for the position. With that being said, I think he gets a couple coaches from Ohio State, but he doesn't deplete the coaching room. I definitely think Corey Dennis and Ryan Stamper are gone. For me, as long as Mickey, Mary, uh, Mickey Marotti and Brian Hartline stay, the Buckeyes will be just fine. Uh, from the 330, I don't think Urban going to Jacksonville will affect Ohio State too much. Maybe a couple people leave, but I have confidence in Day that he can find someone just as good or better. It's Ohio State, and they should be able to fill empty positions with the highest level candidates. Uh, from the 330, a different 330. First of all, I'm happy for Urban. I think this is the last mountain he needs to try to climb in his football life, and I think the NFL will fit Urban. It's not a 365-day-a-year job like college. Not every loss in the NFL means death like college, which is what we said. This is a good point by the texter. So the stress on Urban won't be as high. Secondly, I've been thinking since I heard the news of him going, what would people consider successful for Urban in the NFL? Obviously, winning the Super Bowl is the ultimate goal, but that's really hard. So let me put this out here. Excluding this past season, Bill O'Brien, former Penn State coach who went to the Houston Texans, coached for six years with the Texans and had a record of 52-44 and 44 in the regular season. We all know that O'Brien didn't fare well in the postseason, making it four times but only winning two games. Let's say Urban coaches the same amount of seasons, has the same regular season record, but makes one AFC championship game but doesn't make a Super Bowl, will that be considered successful? I do think that's interesting. I think you got to have a great season at least. Because O'Brien, I wouldn't even guess that, that Bill O'Brien had a winning record the way he's perceived in my head. Because to me, it's like, ah, they get in the playoffs and they flame out, right? And then he never maximized a great quarterback. Because Bill O'Brien had a franchise quarterback, not right away, but he got one into Sean Watson. And he, didn't oh, do it, he didn't do that much with it. Um, I do think that's interesting when you think about how you view success, I think you're better off like sort of having the one stupendous year where you make a run than like making the playoffs every year, like and falling short. You know what I mean? So I'll be curious to see like how people and like when you're Urban Meyer, because Bill O'Brien also was not Urban Meyer as a college coach. Bill O'Brien was Bill Bill was Tom Brady's quarterback's coach in New England, went to Penn State for a couple years, helped straighten out the paternal mess and left. Nobody knew 
anything about Bill O'Brien, really. Urban's like a college football coaching legend. So does that raise the standard for Urban, or does it give him more wiggle room? Like, if he's not one of the best coaches in the NFL, is, it, is, he, is he, like, sort of harming his reputation? Because in college, he's the second best college football coach of his generation. You know, it's just it's it's so tough to compare in some ways. I mean, it's like I don't think less of Nick Saban because he went whatever it was nine and seven and six and ten in two years in the NFL and then came back to college. Like it doesn't make him less of an the greatest college coach of all time, obviously. And I don't think people necessarily look at that as like eh, maybe they should. I guess they should look at it maybe as some 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 level of failure there. I guess, but um, I don't I don't think it necessarily tarnishes what he's already accomplished, if that makes any sense. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can take away what's already been there. Um, it, but it's, it's interesting to me. Like, I was looking at the Jaguars, um, like, back through their history when I was writing some stuff today, and it's like, I forgot that Doug Marone was, like, the Syracuse coach who, like, topped out at, like, eight and five or something like that, and then he gets to coach the Bills and then gets to coach the Jaguars. It's like, in some ways, like, you don't have to be that great of a coach to get an NFL head coaching job. So – and the Jaguars have had some success. Like there was a year that Tom Coughlin went nine and seven, but they took him to the took him to the AFC Championship game. They had a fourteen and two year in there that I think people forget about. You're getting a little bit distant now. It's been a while since they've been that good, but it's not like they've had, they've never had success in their past. So that's the other thing about this franchise too, though. They've never been to a Super Bowl, so I think the standards of success are a little bit more realistic here too. You might have time to 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 build to that if he wants it. From the 813, I think losing Mark Pantone could hurt in the short term, as well as Hartline, who has proven to be a great recruiter. Also, a little concerned about Stamper leaving. Give us more insight into what his responsibilities are and who he could be replaced with. I don't have a good sense of who he could be replaced with, but he's, he's just the guy behind the scenes who, like, makes sure the players are okay. Like, if the players have an issue, you have a relationship with your position coach. But player personnel, I think, is his title. It's like if the players need something, stamps their guy like and that's like like stamps their guy that like he's almost like a go-between between the rest of the staff and the players that I think a lot of guys they just have a great relationship with him and they know he has their back no matter what and so whatever that entails it's one of those jobs that like as long as everything's running smoothly you don't hear about it much because everything's running smoothly you know what I mean like the guy he's like a fixer like he just like hey if somebody's having an issue you know, a family thing they need to talk out, or if they're having an issue, they're mad at their position coach about something and they feel like they're not getting to play as much as they should. I think you could talk to Stamp, you know, like if they have an issue where they're struggling in class or, you know, they're having an issue with their, you know, their girlfriend or something. I think Stamp is like there for them. So it's a catch-all. And so I think it's a really important hire. I have no idea. I have no idea who, who it could be, but I mean, maybe, maybe it's one of those things where it's like a, maybe, you know what? I mean, I'm not trying to be stupid, and he'll take a shot. You know who to me sounds like a guy that might be really good at that? Jonathan Cooper. You know, yeah. it's like, well, how, who can fill a role like that? I don't know. How about like a super respected recent player? Or so, um, like Tough Borland. Yeah. Similar thing to me. And I, I, from talking to his family, I think they see him getting in, staying in football in some capacity long-term. And one of the things that he had mentioned to them was like wanting to be the next Mickey Marotti. So maybe he would go like the strength side of things, but he's also got a long coaching background. So a, a role like that would make sense for either of those guys. Or maybe, and you know, I, I don't know, Johnny 
Dixon. What if Johnny Dixon could be that, right? Jo- everybody loves Johnny Dixon. He's out of the NFL right now. Everybody loves Johnny. Like, so I do think, but you have to find a guy like that. So that, I mean, that is important. Um, and then continuing um, from this, uh, from this texter, uh, let's see. As for favorite coach, this needs to be qualified. Urban gets my vote because he elevated Ohio State to the level they are now. And his rock star persona gave Ohio State an edge. But I just like Tress as a person more. I thought Urban had a little bit of an ego and could be prickly. Also, I didn't like the way he went out. But he thought that I, this person thought the Zach Smith criticism was too much, but he should have handled it better than he did. And it should never have been an issue. I think that's maybe where a lot of people are. I think that's sort of what I was trying to explain. It's like Urban's not quite as lovable like Tress was like lovable which is like they were just very different coaches but like urban i think demanded your respect urban was a high level achiever urban set up the structure and urban elevated ohio state so um yeah i don't know i think i think most people understand this from the 616 anyone who is mad at urban doesn't see the reality of the situation in some ways this was urban's plan from the start he built ohio state up and gave it everything he had until he physically couldn't he took some time off, got healthy, and now he's taking a shot at a less health-concerning job. His closest friends are NFL, guy, NFL guys. This was years in the making, and I'm here for it. Ohio State is the best it's ever been thanks to him. If you're mad, you're just sad and bitter for no reason. I think that's a really good text, and I, just, I don't think that many people are mad. I really don't. I think, I think if it would have gone down right afterward, people might have been mad. I think even a year ago, they might have been mad. I think if it was another college job, they might've been mad. So we have to see who ends up going, but that it's an NFL job. Also, by the way, this is a little bit on Ryan day. If Ryan day had gone five and seven and six and six, or this would have been three and three this year, they might be mad. Will Muschamp helped make Florida fans matter at urban because your program fell apart. Will Muschamp, I think had one good year, either in year one or year two, and then it fell off a cliff. So Ryan Day plays a big role in Urban Meyer being able to go to the next thing without any, I think, lingering animosity from the Ohio State fan base. But I think, I think a lot of fans are really smart about this. So um, that's about all I have on it. I'm not shocked. I didn't think it was a given. I think it took almost the perfect situation. I, I, I did feel like after talking to Urban a year ago, go he very well could get back into it but if the right situation never came around he wouldn't end up as the coach at washington state you know that like he wouldn't be desperately grabbing you know less miles is the coach at kansas I, I i don't think urban would have ended up going that route right that like i mean i think right. some people thought oh what if he goes what if he does look for a lower stress job and you just say you know what i do want lower stress and i'll go be the coach at vanderbilt you know or something i I guess that wasn't impossible, but that would have been a choice. I never thought he was going to reach for something just because he had to coach. Oh, i got to coach no matter what. If it wasn't right, he never would have done it, but he's Urban Meyer. So there's a pretty decent chance that something really good was going to come along, and this is it. Yeah, I mean, you know, as much success as Les Miles had had, like him going to Kansas doesn't feel like something out of place. Like Urban Meyer going to Kansas or Washington State would have felt like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones at like the height of their popularity playing like a county fair or like, or maybe even a, maybe a state fair, but like, which I'm sure they did on their way up. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like at the height of their, like they could sell out any giant arena in the world, Led Zeppelin, whoever, like they're going to go play some rinky dink uh, cowpoke thing. Like that's what that would have felt like to me. And when, when urban turned down the Texas thing, apparently um, 
it, it this almost becomes the only avenue left that makes sense because I just don't know that there were that many college jobs out there above Texas that would have been potentially more appealing than a Texas scenario, right? Like I know we've thrown around like USC, um, maybe something else back in Florida if he thought one of those colleges schools could be programs could be turned around but in retrospect it almost seems like well if you're going to coach and you're not going to go to texas which in terms of resources and brand and recruiting base and all sorts of other things is like there to be turned into a monster then this might be all that's that's left and it it sounds like he was it was there was some kind of talk with with san diego too which already has a, a quarterback in place that looks like it might be a franchise quarterback on his way up too so la chargers yeah LA, uh, yeah, sir. So here's again, I, the, the, the agent's not texting me. Here's my guess on that. They've been talking to Jacksonville for a while. They're getting close. The agent leaks, like, you know what? He might go to the Chargers too to get yeah, it done. That's true. Yeah. So I, that's not a real, like, I don't, you got to understand. I mean, this is, you got to get it done. Like, oh, yeah. we want this. We want these 10 things. And the Jags owner is like, I'll give you eight. And it's like, text immediately to uh four national reporters oh you know what urban's thinking about the chargers too oh the last two things on the list just got checked off okay good we're we're in so um here's the last thing i'll say about like past failures by college coaches i think a guy like steve spurrier who gets used a lot i just think he's more of like an x and o's guy right and it's like the fun and gun at florida it doesn't translate to washington in the nfl chip kelly wanted every bit of power and tried to run the personnel department on his own. And he, he Mm -hmm. chip Kelly, the bad general manager ruined chip Kelly, the coach. So I think urban should be smart enough. There's reports, this Trent bulky guy who was the 49ers GM coincidentally, when Jim Harbaugh was there is going to wind up being the GM. I think the full-time GM in Jacksonville. Um, I I think urban, there's one of those things like you want the power, but I don't think he's going to trick himself into thinking that he's the best guy to draft the team. Right. I think he has to know better than that. So if, if I think a lot of college transitions that didn't work were based on the X's and O's, the X's and O's are different enough. And then if you're coming from a high profile place where you win, cause you have the better players. Now all the players are even and your X's and O's aren't good enough or too much power. If urban is a culture and structure coach, mostly he hires good coordinators and they are set up to build a good roster. I think he has a better chance than a lot of people. And Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL network, who's really smart about this stuff, tweeted out a couple hours ago that to him, this feels like it might be like Jimmy Johnson, which is like, if that's what it is, Jimmy Johnson from Miami to the Cowboys. And there you go. Mm-hmm. And that Jimmy Johnson transformed the Cowboys. Now I do think I, I, I'm not an expert on that. I think Jimmy might've had a big hand in sort of the, the, the talent acquisitions too, and picking guys, but like Jimmy built what the Cowboys were he reestablished the Cowboys brand and how they did things right I think Urban has a chance and I think that's part of what's attractive to Urban is like the Jaguars don't have anything so he can do whatever he wants and it's the new Jaguars way we're talking about the Browns way Kevin Stefanski's established a Browns way now with Andrew Barry Urban gets to decide what the Jags way is and I think that's attractive to him and I think that's why he's going so good luck to him all right we're gonna do a little defense Ohio State football defense talk so it's not just about a guy who's not here we're talking about this team this program Nathan and I both broke down the defensive side of the ball from the national title game we'll give you our thoughts next on Buckeye Talk back on Buckeye Talk Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird 
uh, Steven's doing basketball and football stuff. And I just basically told Steven, it's like, I'm just going to get on here and rant about Urban Meyer. He's, he's covering basketball games and there's no reason for him to just sit here and listen to me. So he'll be back. Well, I think we'll do the next pod on Saturday. Um, and then we'll get our schedule worked out. We have plans. We, we sent an email to the boss about what's up with the podcast. And we got word back that podcast stuff is in the works. Uh, podcasts are really important to cleveland.com and to our company. Uh, they're really important to us in how we cover this beat and how we connect with our listeners and how we connect with our tech subscribers. So uh, we got big podcast plans still ahead. And again, if you want to be a tech subscriber, you can give it a try this off season. There's stuff happening. And like football, spring football, I just talked to someone else today. It's like spring, spring football might be like seven weeks away. I mean, like, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but the difference Nathan is last spring when spring football got canceled, nobody knew how to do this. Now they know how to do it. So it's like, well, they had to cancel it because they didn't know how to practice in a pandemic. Now they know how to practice in a pandemic. So I don't know if there'll be a spring game, but I'm assuming it'll be a quasi-normal, I don't know, until we're told otherwise, a quasi-normal spring practice. Why would it not be? They just had a quasi-normal practice season, except for when they had virus outbreaks. But there it was like the the interruption was real. I would would wonder if the NCAA will create some allowance. I mean, because now the way it's structured, you have – don't you have – you have a certain number of days and a certain number of practices to do within those days from the time you start. I wonder if they'll give some leeway in case you do have an interruption because of the virus that you can, like, bank those days and add them onto the end. That that gets tricky because it is it is sort of about um, player, player mental health and, like, wanting to make sure that you're not taking up too much of their calendar year, whatever. But I, I would I – would, I could see them making some kind of – um, allowance for that but I, I think you're right I think it should be a pretty normal practice scenario just because they've they've practiced all season and and there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to carry that over to the spring there will be some differences such as we won't be standing there on the first day of practice as we were a year ago um, so it, for us it'll still be frustrating to I think probably still be removed and not get to see the things that we are accustomed to seeing through the spring but other than that as far as what the team operates I think it should be pretty normal we're zooming. We're not going to see squat for a while. We're yeah. zooming. Um, like we begin if they had a zoom camera just on practice. Could we ask Jerry to do that for a day? Just set up a camera and put the camera on zoom and let us watch from afar. So we can be like, Oh, look at that guy. Oh, seven banks looks good in spandex, which is what we all did last year in spring practice. By the way, I mean, half the time, that's the extent of our, I'll right. tell you what, you know, who looks the part seven <laughs> banks. He has long legs. He's an all pro. I mean, like, what do we know? And then, but you get a sense of the, you, the best thing is you get a sense of the two deep and you get out there. And like I always say, there's like a day you get out there the first day of spring practice and you're like, Tyvis Powell is starting. I still like remember days like that. It's like, that's how you learn it. So it there would be some, nice to be able to see it. Yeah. I mean, there were some things we saw last year at the beginning, you know, whether it was Garrett Wilson, whether it was P Werner, whether it was, I think that was when we were getting some glimpses of Malik Hooker. So we saw some things at the start of practice last year that, that bore out over the course of the season. So, uh, and, and, and depending on what we learn here in the next week, as far as NFL draft stuff, there may be a lot of questions or there may be not that many questions. There's, there's a lot kind of up in the air right now. Marcus Hooker. Um, what I say? Malik. I said Malik. Yeah. Marcus. They had Malik. So, okay. So you and I went through the defense and we put up this big post, had some screenshots. We had a back and forth forth about how we thought the defense played against Alabama, where it fell short, and more importantly, why it fell short. Why don't you give the good people sort of an overview of, of why we did it and 
um, what we were hoping to try to do with that post. And again, we would direct anybody to go read it at cleveland.com slash OSU. I'll, I'll get the headline here, but sort of explain why we did it. To me, it was something people were already talking about. I mean, it's been a big topic of discussion since that game. And there have been a lot of takes from, I think, maybe a national level, a more removed level. Local guys have done it, too. Local reporters have, have written it, too. But, but from the national level, it was the, the conversation was like, why did Ohio State do these things defensively against this Alabama team? And I thought that it was important that we considered that question, but in the framework of people who – know the personnel of this team intimately. I mean, we've been talking on a daily basis about all of these players for the past year and about how they fit in specifically on this team on the field for the past year. And we probably have a, any local beat writers, but, but us who've been doing this, I mean, we have a, a better sense of why Ohio State might have done some of these things because of what the personnel is, as opposed to someone who's just looking at positions on a piece of paper and saying, and, and questioning why Ohio State lined up that way. So, and, and, and a lot of it is um, based around, like, was this like Carrie Combs, like blowing it? right that that is that really what was at play here or is that not the primary way to evaluate this now i mean I'll, I'll tell you straight out part of where my was coming from my good friend dave briggs who i think is is arguably the best sports writer in ohio he's a columnist for the toledo blade wrote a column like two days after the game that said ryan day needs to seriously consider whether Kerry combs is the right man for the job as defensive coordinator and uh, briggs is a person who i do text and i was like what the heck is wrong with you and so we had a little debate on text. And as I said previously on the podcast, that's not at all where I am. And so I think we wanted to look and see, like, is this, is there really stuff here that makes you say, ee, ee, maybe there's a lot to that. And I do think there's, Nathan, I do think it's difficult. I always try to parse this in discussion. There's a difference between a discussion about was this good enough and a discussion about should someone be fired because of it? And to me, those are, it's very important to distinguish those two discussions or demoted or whatever. Is this just a problem that needs to be fixed or is this a problem that you have to change something in order to fix it, not just get better at what you're doing now? And based on one year, I, and then based again on the rewatch, Nathan, I just, I cannot imagine truly being at a place where it's like your conclusion would be, nope. Someone needs to be fired or demoted because this was that bad or it was bad enough the whole year and this exemplified it. You can't come back the same way. That's just after the rewatch even more. That's not at all where I am. I think the people that need to be fired are the people whose recruiting deficiencies led to the lack of quality depth that this team had on defense. And guess what? They were. Like, they're not at Ohio State anymore, right? It was people who – there were assistant coaches who were here two or three years ago. There was a dip in recruiting at some key positions on the defensive side. They were never sufficiently fixed. You can argue that maybe this season and the, the truncated, chopped-up way that this season played out contributed to that, that you weren't able to develop the depth in the secondary, that if maybe you'd had those extra three, four, six games, that you would have you would have built these guys into something that could have maybe matched up with Alabama better – I'm not sure that 
would have been enough. Even having those – also, you got to remember that we're missing a couple guys. So even if you throw those guys in, I don't know if it would have been enough. I think watching it again, I mean, it seemed like – they seemed like two completely different animals going, going head-to-head on – you know, I, I think I was wrong. Like one of the things I said going in was this wasn't David versus Goliath. It was Goliath versus Goliath. And I think – I'm not going to say it was David versus Goliath, but it was not two equal Goliaths. And it certainly wasn't once you started taking – you start taking impact starters off the field for Ohio State, especially on the defensive side. I mean, the worst, yes. the worst of I'm the only four units. Yeah. yeah, the worst of the four units was Ohio State's defense, and so they had some guys get beat. They didn't do. They don't do a lot of fancy movement pre-snap. I didn't feel like they ever really tried to confuse Mac Jones. So they didn't zone blitz. They didn't drop defensive ends in the coverage. You didn't find a lot of sort of lurking safeties, being at a spot that the quarterback didn't see. It was a lot of man or a lot of, you know, sort of straightforward zone linebackers floating in the middle of the field. And I did feel like at times in the zone, they were floating in a space where they weren't really doing much by floating where they were. They weren't matching up at all in the zone. They weren't finding somebody to cover. And sometimes guys would be open, but they couldn't play man all night or they would have gotten beat. And, and a lot of times when Ohio State faces great teams, they feel like they can play man. But you couldn't play man with these corners and these safeties against these receivers all night. So you have to play some zone. And then Mac Jones picked your part in the zone. And then you did play some man. And then sometimes you often got beat in man. So I thought it was much more about just being a step short from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, I mean, again, for those fans who want – them to have been more exotic from a defensive standpoint or observers. Maybe I should just put this on fans. Maybe who watch that game and says Ohio State should have been more exotic from a, a design standpoint or more aggressive on defense, whatever. I, it's Are you the same people who all season have been complaining that those defensive backs weren't doing just basic things most of the season, right? I mean, like think of how many people have complained about slot cornerback. People have complained about the, the free safety um, and the deficiencies that, that were exhibited there. Even someone like Sean Wade, um, who, whose credentials as a college defensive back, I think are secure, but I think his credentials as an outside cornerback are not there after the way this season went, but someone who was criticized a lot there. Like, I mean, I just don't understand how much, so if you don't think they're getting the job done kind of at a base level, I don't know how much more confidence you would have that if you make it more exotic, that that's going to fix the problem. I think that could maybe potentially exacerbate the problem. It's why they weren't doing it. So like, I don't think it's that I think I agree with what you're saying. Cause it's not just like, Oh no, the scheme's fine. It's that I understand why the scheme wasn't better because like, for instance, we've talked about a lot at the moment, three times Indiana against Ohio state and Justin Fields, blitzed with two linebackers and a safety and that they like they're blitzing three guys and it's almost like the safety is like the trailing blitzer and you pick up the first two linebackers and there's nobody left to take the safety and I think they got home twice on that against Justin Fields and the third time they figured it out Ohio State didn't come close to doing anything like that they blitzed Baron Browning I think on his own maybe three times and they had another play where they blitzed Baron Browning and Tough Borland together and even that was Alabama ran a screen late and then Ohio state blitz two linebackers on the next play. Cause I think sort of figuring like, well, we'll blitz. They're not going to throw two screens in a row. And they, they threw two screens in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like, okay, well then you're just, so you got Sarked. Sark's really good. Sark's so good. He got the Texas job. Steve Sark season, the offensive coordinator. And, but then it's like the idea of, oh, well, why didn't you blitz Marcus Williamson more? 
And it's like, you mean Marcus Williamson, who was down playing slot corner and now is playing deep safety, and now he's the secret blitzer that's going to be the key? Because, oh, if we blitz Tough Borland, Baron Browning, and Marcus Williamson, that's going to solve Alabama's offense. I agree with you. It's like, chances are you're probably screwing up more than you make a big play. Now, the, one, the biggest play of the game was a Baron Browning blitz, and it was perfect. It was perfectly executed. You could see it in the moment. Baron Browning follows the tight end motion down inside. Mac Jones motions the tight end down. He comes in. He sees that Baron Browning's in man, just following that guy. So he doesn't think anything of it, that Baron Browning's standing right there. He looks away, snaps it, and he doesn't look back at Baron Browning. And Baron Browning is in his lap before Mac Jones knows he's there. And that's why he fumbled, because Baron Browning was – he didn't feel him coming at all. Perfect blitz. That's one. So you can say, well, why did you blitz more? Well, then let's look at the Najee Harris touchdown where Baron Browning blitzed, and they flipped it to Najee Harris for a 26-yard touchdown. So I just think they didn't have enough guys to do anything else schematically than what they did. So could the scheme be better? Could they try some new things? Yes. But you've got to have the guys to do it. And so they didn't – like we said, they played nine nickel snaps, I think it was, or ten nickel snaps, which is like, you know, 14% of the time. That's true freshman Lathan Ransom coming in, and you're taking a linebacker off the field. But you're forced into a spot where your nickelback is Lathan Ransom because Marcus Williamson, who's been your nickelback, now has to be a deep safety because Marcus Hooker, who started the year as a starting deep safety, is not on the field anymore. And Corey Brown, not Corey Brown, Cameron Brown, Cam Brown, Cam Brown who you thought was going to be on your corner, got hurt. And Tyreek Johnson, who you thought might help in the secondary, is a five-star guy that didn't develop. You're just short on dudes. So I think they tried to keep it kind of vanilla because they were short on guys. And the result was the guys weren't good enough to play vanilla defense. But they must have felt like if we did anything more, they were, that wasn't going to work either. So I'm not saying you come back and run the exact same defense the exact same way. I'm saying you don't fire Kerry Combs. I'm not saying this defense is good enough for Ohio State to win a national championship. I'm saying you don't demote Kerry Combs. I'm not saying if they don't do this, if a year from now nothing has changed and it looks exactly the same, I might have changed my tune on Kerry Combs. I'm saying you don't do it in year one right now after a pandemic when you only played six regular season games. And by the way, you got to the national title and got steamrolled by one of the best offenses in history. You don't demote or fire Kerry Combs because of that. And part of the deal is that Kerry Combs has built up equity here and he deserves a little more consideration than Bill Davis or Tim Beck or some other guy who I've been on over the years who came out of nowhere, never did anything to help this program and is like, not good enough. Even Ed Warriner was a really good offensive line coach before he was a bad offensive coordinator, right? Zach Smith did some things in recruiting. I mean, but I was on Zach Smith from a production standpoint of his receivers long before this other stuff happened. But those guys at least helped you at some point. Kerry's helped this program a lot. So I think to be flippant or to just be like, ah, get that guy out of here. Or to act like you can give, this is more of it, to act like you can give a true thorough evaluation of this defense based on these eight games and this year with this team, I just don't think it's correct. And not only is it unfair to carry, I think, I think it's not good for the program. I think it'd be a rash decision, and I don't think people would look at it very well. And I think you'd be jumping the gun, and I think it's very possible that next year this defense is like a lot better 
in how it's called and how it executes for a million different reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair to ask, you know, why it's fair to ask the questions. Why do they do certain things? It's even fair to criticize it to some point. If you're talking about winning the chess match, it's hard to criticize someone for not winning the chess match if instead of a queen, they had some lesser, you know what I mean? They only had a bishop or they had an extra pawn where the other person had their knight. Like the more powerful pieces just weren't there for Ohio State the way they were for Alabama. There's only so much that you could expect to get out of that chess match. It's not a great analogy because it's – start talking about offense and defense, but you know, I think you understand what I'm saying that the personnel just weren't there this year. I had questions about that all season uh, with the way the Clemson game went. I kind of thought that maybe that, that I was wrong and that they were going to prove me wrong. But then I think the more you go back and analyze that, you realize just how much they won that matchup up front against Clemson and how that changed that game. And that just wasn't going to be possible against Alabama. I, I questioned whether it was going to be possible, even if Ohio state was full strength. And once you took Tommy to and Tyreek Smith off of that field completely, I don't think that was a matchup that could be won. And I think the ripple effects from that were 52 to 24. And as Nathan said, the first time we get to talk to Kerry Combs and we didn't get to talk to any other coaches besides Ryan day after the game, the first time we talked to Kerry Combs, we'll ask all these questions. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you play more nickel? Why did you play the four linebackers like you did? Why didn't you change up coverages more? Why didn't you try to describe stuff? Why didn't you blitz more than one guy more than once or whatever? I mean, yeah, absolutely we'll ask the questions. We're just saying we don't think they need a change in the staff. So, And there might be changes. I mean, the one thing is there might be some changes coming in the staff on both sides of the ball organically. And then once you do that, you have a chance to move some people in and out. And I'm not saying anything is taken away from Kerry, but maybe you bring in somebody as a co-defensive coordinator or something else where you supplement, right? And you supplement, hey, this person does this particularly well. And we're going to have them supplement what you do, Kerry. And by the way, a lot of this stuff, and at times I think I have been not good enough at this. It still goes back to the head coach because the head coach is in charge. The head coach can do whatever he wants. So you know, sometimes I'm saying like, well, Tim Beck stinks and Ed Warner stinks and Zach Smith stinks. And it's like, well, yeah, but Urban's the coach. So if you think the offense is not performing well enough, it's not just about the three offensive assistants. Part of that, that's on Urban too. And I think at times I have not done that effectively. They're running the defense Ryan Day wants to run. Now, Kerry's in charge of figuring it out with Greg Madison and everybody else. He's in charge of figuring it out. But if Ryan Day, it's not like Ryan Day doesn't know what the defensive game plan is. And if Ryan Day didn't like it, he could say no. So he didn't say no, and then their defense wasn't very good. But also, the question, Nathan, and we'll end with this, the question never was whether this Ohio State defense this year was going to be good. I, I don't know that anybody really thought it was going to be good. It was, was it going to be good enough? Right. And it almost was, but not quite in the national title game against an all-time offense. You know, and something else that kind of dawned on me today, too, was like we, we might have just been a little bit too flippant in our assumption that Ohio State could win a shootout, um, not just against this Alabama team, but against anybody. Because you look back on the season, Ohio State never got it a shootout. And none of these games were shootouts. The, the Indiana game, the 42-35 game, they were up 35-7 to in that game. I wouldn't classify that as a shootout. That's a, that's a very different kind of dynamic. And the, the Clemson game kind of started off as one, but then Ohio State's defense turned – the complexion of that game and it was not a shootout from then on it was a game where Ohio State had real separation too so it, it, it does make me wonder if we just if, if that part of our read too was just off of the championship game a little bit and we, we we assumed something of Ohio State without having actually seen it in evidence this season all right 
That's it for this podcast. Again, try the text at 614-350-3315. This is a Thursday podcast. We're getting it up late on Thursday, so we won't have a Friday podcast, but the plan is to do something on Saturday. We got to figure out exactly what it's going to be. We got to let some stuff settle down. There's still a lot of moving parts going on here. So we'll figure that out. Um, but thanks for listening. Keep listening. We'll keep coming at you. Just get subscribed to the feed. If you somehow stumble across this without being a subscriber to Buckeye Talk, wherever you listen to podcasts, just make sure you're subscribed and it'll pop in. And it's going to pop in like five times a week, maybe four times a week every now and then. But we're still going to go uh, a lot. So make sure you're listening. Try the text if you want to. It's a 14-day free trial. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs> <laughs>